So Lord Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name that you would open our ears now to hear your word, that you would open our hearts, Lord, open our minds. I pray for distraction to be lifted in the name of Jesus here. I pray, Father, that our hearts would burn within us as you impart your word. Use this this weak vessel here, Lord. Use my mouth, Lord. Direct my language here this morning. We need a word from heaven. But as you walked with those disciples on that road and, and they said their hearts burned within them as you unpacked the scriptures, I pray that our hearts would burn within us here this morning, God. I pray that we would understand more about you in us, the mystery of Christ in us because of what we're about to do here as we look into your word. You said the unfolding of your word gives light. And so I pray for shining light into each heart and each mind here in this room. You said, open my eyes that I can behold wonders in your word in Psalms. I pray, Father, that you would open our eyes that we could behold the wonders of your word. So I pray, speak, Lord, into every heart here this morning. Holy Spirit, speak clearly into every heart here this morning and may your word come like fire and divide soul and spirit, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Man, I love the Bible. Anybody else love the Bible? So good. Tell you what, I said I loved the Bible for a lot of years, but the truth was I didn't really love the Bible because really loving the Bible is found in the action of reading the Bible. You love the Bible by exposing yourself to the Bible. I say I love my wife, but if I spend five minutes a week with my wife, my actions demonstrate I love her with words only and not with actions. But man, I love my Bible. Love it so much. You know why I didn't love my Bible for so many years? I actually tried to read it a lot. You know why I didn't love my Bible and couldn't get into the Bible? I kept skipping off the surface because I wasn't a disciple. I wasn't all in for Jesus, imperfect as I am. I had not said yes to him taking the driver's seat in my life. Complete control. See, when I became a disciple, when I signed up and when I threw my idols down at his feet and when I cast myself and said, do with me what you want to do, my life is yours, the Bible started to make a lot of sense to me. I started to get my heart burning within me when I started to read the words on the page. Because the Bible is all about who, everyone? Jesus. So if I don't know Jesus, he said, if you don't deny yourself and come unto me, you're not worthy of me. If I don't know Jesus fully and completely, I really don't understand this book. It's made for disciples. It's made for people who are all in. So I want to challenge you, if you have a hard time reading or understanding the Bible, I want to ask you the question that I wish I would have asked myself years before. Are you all in for Jesus? If not, what's holding you back? What is that sin that you nurture and you love and you keep in the dark? What is it the Lord's asking you to sell and just get rid of? Then come follow me. What's he asking you to just cash in on this earthly side so that you can have true riches? Then come follow me. I promise you it'll make a lot of sense. I love the gospel. Don't you love the gospel? The gospel is glad tidings. It's the good news. 
I'm so thankful that my grandma and grandpa, my daddy's mom and dad 50 years ago, sitting in First Baptist Church a few miles from here on Central, heard the gospel preached. And in their 40s, they walked the aisle of that Baptist church and they gave their life to Christ at the altar and they got baptized. And so does my daddy as a teenager. I'm so thankful that the dad, as imperfect as he was, made the gospel the central point of his life and it was handed down to me. I'm so thankful that Christ revealed the power of God through his gospel to my family and my forebears. Romans chapter 1 says that. The gospel is the power of God to all who believe. But this morning I want to take just a few minutes and take you through a refresher course, Christianity 101, and then take you into a practical application of the Sermon on the Mount that's been burning on my heart here this week. And quote from my dear friend Oswald Chambers. The gospel is, yes, the power of God for all who believe. It saves us from hell, But also, the gospel, Jesus Christ and what he did is able, Hebrews chapter 7, to save us to the uttermost. He does not just save us out of hell and into heaven. He saves us deep down inside, through and through. He saves us from being harsh with our tongue. He saves us from addiction. He saves us from unholiness. He saves us through and through completely to the uttermost. Because the gospel is not just the power of God to all who believe. In Romans 1.17, it says, The gospel in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So there's a revelation that God wants us to understand from the gospel, and that it's his righteousness from first to last. The righteousness by faith from first to last. Or from faith to faith. And faith in who? Well, the righteous will live by faith in Jesus Christ. So the gospel is believing in Jesus that one initial time whereby we're saved for eternity. And the gospel is believing in Jesus today for my righteousness. And tomorrow morning for my righteousness. I'm believing in Jesus and his life in me. I believe that I no longer live, Galatians 2.20, but it's Christ who lives in me. The gospel is good news once, and the gospel is good news and today and forever from here on out. Because Jesus Christ paid the price that I could not pay, and now he's actually living through me for God. So the Christian life is no longer on me to pull off, but on the life of the Son of God. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says it this way. I want to be found in Christ not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, a righteousness that's seen outwardly, but I want a righteousness which is through faith in Christ. This is the revelation God's talking about. The righteousness of Christ revealed, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Because Jesus Christ is the Alpha and He is the Omega. He's beginning and the end. He who started a good work in me when I said yes at seven years old in that office, my daddy prayed the salvation prayer with me, is he who's going to bring the work to completion when I die. Maybe in 2053. I don't know. I'll be 70. We'll find out. But But I want Jesus Christ to be living through me every day. That's my desire. That's what Paul's desire was. That's the good news of the gospel. I have access to his perfect life today. Jesus Christ. Somebody go with me to Matthew chapter 1. The very first verse of the New Testament. Somebody with a good, loud voice. Read that out, will you? Matthew 1, 1. 
super loud. There we go. Revelation chapter 22, 21. Last sentence of the New Testament. What do we have there? Somebody yell it out. What name? First sentence and last sentence. Jesus. Everything in this book is about him. We quote it all the time, Matthew 5, 39. You, sc- you search the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have life, yet you refuse to come to me that you may find real life, true life. Everything in this book is about Jesus. And lest we think he saved us once and now it's on us to work harder, we forget that he says the righteousness is through faith in Christ Jesus. I've said this before, but the Bible can be summed up. The story of Christ can be summed up in one sentence, 1 John 4.9. Here's the Bible in one sentence. Four, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live for him. No, no, no. Through him. The gospel in one sentence. God loved the world so much, he sent his son so that now our life could be lived through him. Yes, we live through him because he lives through us. See, God's actually looking for vessels. He's looking for submitted people, not perfect people. Actually, he prefers the weakest among us because what God wants to do is he wants to demonstrate his life through us to a lost and a dying world. He's not looking for Pharisees to learn more and to work harder. He's looking for Marys who say, be it unto me according to your word. That's who he's looking for. The weaker, the better sometimes. The question isn't, have you learned enough or are you trained enough or have you done enough years of study? The question is, are you submitted to his life right now in you? Are you submitted to Christ taking complete control in us? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith. Faith in who? The son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So God is looking for temples to inhabit. We come into this room with the air conditioning. It's so nice to be together. This is not the temple of God. This is where the temples of God meet together for equipping and encouragement, right? You are the temple of God. God's looking to dwell in you. This is why Paul said, I want you, I want Lord, make your home in their hearts through faith. Because what does it look like when God dwells in the temple in the Old Testament? It's awesome. The smoke fills the temple. People are afraid to even come close. He's billowing out of the temple in power. He's looking to inhabit you and me the same way. Lordship is the real deal issue of the Christian life. I'll say it again. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He says in Luke. Lordship is the real deal, isn't it? It was for me. It was for me, man. I I tried so long to live the Christian life, but the thing was I wouldn't give up pornography and lust. It was my secret sin that I just held on to. And I would say all the right things, and I'd do all these like difficult tasks and fasting and seeking the Lord in prayer and, and evangelism and trying to read more and do all that, but I wouldn't give up the sin under my tent. And so I couldn't stand, like the Israelites couldn't stand in front of the little town of Ai. It was super, super simple. But lordship was the issue I was dealing with. I was lord over that area of my life. It was kind of the same with me for money. I'll tithe big time, but when it comes down to you just being in control of my finances, my career, and my future, I'll take care of that part. 
You have lordship over 98%. I'll keep lordship over 2%. And the Lord says, it does not work that way. You come to me wholly and completely or you don't come at all. There's no chance for you to live the Christian life fully and completely without casting all on Christ. Everything. And then watch and see what happens to your Bible reading. I'm a lukewarm kid from Eldorado, Kansas, guys. I sat there just like you, young men, in one ear and out the other for decades, I'm telling you. And I'm burning for Jesus now. Why? Because I gave it all up. And I said, come dwell in my heart through faith. I have zero more self-control than I had back then. But I tell you, I got the self-controlled one living inside of me. I got him living inside of me, and he's burning in my bones right now. If he can do it to this lukewarm kid, he can do it to you. A promise. A promise he will. The thing that's not often talked about, especially by me, is that we are slaves all the time, every time, all day, every day. We have no choice Because you're either slaves to sin and that leads to death or you're slaves to obedience and that leads to righteousness. It leads to righteousness. You're slaves. Why is that? That doesn't seem fair that all of us would be slaves. Well, the reason that is is because we were born on a cosmic stage in the middle of a war between good and evil, light and dark. We are soldiers, and no soldier gets excused from his duty. You're fighting for one side or the other side. You obey your commanding officer one way or the other. Do not think there's a neutral ground. There is not. Zero neutrality. We are slaves to the one we obey. Now, for you and me, if you're a believer in this room, what happened is the Lord came and he bought us back from the darkness into the light. He paid for the church, Acts 20, 28, with his own blood. We were bought with a price, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says. Don't you know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have received from God? Listen, you are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. My life is my own. It's my body. It's my choice. It's my will. It's all that I want, me, me, me. And he says, no, you were not. You were actually purchased, and now you're owned by somebody else. And if you do not get on board with that program, you don't understand what the Bible's talking about. If, you don't, if you're not on board with lordship, it, the Christian life is super hard. It's super difficult. But when Jesus is Lord of your life, it doesn't make it easy, but it makes it understandable. And you walk through it and the Bible begins to unpack things and the Lord uses you in a mighty and powerful way. Listen to what Revelation chapter 5 says. Revelation 5 says, you are worthy to take the scroll Verse 9, and open its seals. Jesus, you're worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. Why? Because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Why did he purchase you? So you could sit in your air-conditioned house and watch Netflix until he comes back? No, he purchased you to make you a kingdom and priests 
to serve our God. And then they will reign with him on the earth. See, you and I were called to pour our lives out in service to God. So whenever we start to collect and we become a pond, we start to die. But when we start to flow in our giftings and we start to just uncork our love for people, we begin to see why we were made. I was made to serve like Jesus served. I actually have food to eat that you know nothing about. Serving God is where the real pleasure comes in the Christian life. Remember, he was sitting there in John 4. He hadn't eaten for a while. And he ministers to the Samaritan woman. His disciples come back like the heat of the day. You're surely hungry. And he says, I'm not hungry anymore. Why? Because I have food to eat. You don't know anything about what was this food? To do my father's work and to accomplish his work. To do his will and to accomplish his work. And so when I do that, And when I step out of my comfort zone and I obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, I'm fed fresh manna. It's so much fun when I'm a vessel being flowed through by the Holy Spirit of God. And it gets a little boring and it gets a little tedious and I get a little directionless when I don't flow. And when I'm all focused on myself, like I was last night, praying for breakthrough. Just, just proclaiming my way through breakthrough. So this brings us to today. I say all that as a refresher. This brings us to our need today. What is our need today? As Christians, Sam has said this for years, our problem is that we're just not very spiritual. That's the truth. Paul says, I want to address you as spiritual people, but you're still carnally minded. You got, uh, you got arguments and you got contentions and strifes and all. It doesn't mean you're carnally minded. I want to address you as spiritual people, but you need milk, not solid food. I want to address you as spiritual who are eating the meat of the work. The problem in the church is we're not terribly spiritually minded. And so the Lord Jesus wants to have us live in the reality of kingdom of heaven all day, every day. The kingdom of heaven with a doorway that's open to it, where Jesus is all in all. Where in the kingdom of heaven, we own and possess nothing in ourselves, and our lives are not precious to us anymore, but all is considered rubbish except for knowing Christ Jesus. What freedom that is to live in that place in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, when I can get people living there, When I get them living in that place of freedom, man, you just watch out. One will put a thousand to flight. What freedom. And so this last week, as I always do, I'm reading through Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, and day after day after day, it's just been right on target. I want to borrow a few things that he said out of that. But he starts in Matthew chapter 5. He's talking about the Beatitudes. And he says, This quote, Jesus came not only to teach, but to make me what he teaches that I should be. Jesus came not only to teach the rules of do's and don'ts, and when somebody slaps you, you turn your cheek, and this is what good Christians do, but he actually came to make us what he taught that we should be. His redemption was to put his same nature, the nature that ruled his life within me, His redemption came so that I could get the nature of God, very God, inside of me. I'm a new man. I've been born again. 
I have a different nature now inside of me. So therefore, the first principle that Jesus teaches on in Matthew chapter 5, right out the chute, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first principle in the kingdom of heaven is being poor, meaning having nothing within myself. Saying, like Eric said a minute ago, I can do nothing without you. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing, really. Nothing means nothing. The first principle, like Paul, is to say, I'm convinced that nothing good dwells in me apart from Christ. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? Because if you're like me, you're like the lust and the pride and the greed and the anger, all that. I know that's not good, but I still got some good qualities. I got some devotion. I got some faithfulness. I, I, I give. And Jesus says, nothing in you is good apart from me. When we finally believe that we are actually poor, then we're blessed. Blessed are those. It means blessed, happy, fortunate. To be envied are those who have nothing in themselves. Those type of people are the ones that get looked at and say, wow, they are free. They have nothing inside of themselves. Consequently, those people walk in more authority and power. Because they know they're not going to pull this off unless God pulls it off through them. And so the power of God likes to manifest and dwell on weak people. He tabernacles over them because he gets all the glory from a weak life that's open to him. The poverty in spirit is the doorway to the kingdom life. It's the first place. And he says the knowledge of our own poverty is what brings us to the proper place where Jesus Christ accomplishes his work. <clears throat> the knowledge of our own poverty gets us into the right position. What's the right position? Well, it sounds like this. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You work out your own salvation, each of you, with fear and trembling. For, in the right place, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The knowledge of our poverty brings us to the place where I'm saying, I want my salvation worked out, but God, you're the only one that can do that through me today. Will and work in me to accomplish your good purpose as a vessel today. What's God's will for my life? What's God's will for your life? The scriptures say it clearly. Sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4. God's will for your life and my life is our sanctification. Yay, sanctification. Sanctification, I've been stuck on 1 Corinthians 1.30. Oh, we go there with me if you would. We'll wrap up here in a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. End of chapter 1. Sanctification, I used to kind of think, was something that I just kind of worked on. You know, this month I'm focused on working, being a little more patient. I got to work on that. I got to work on my um, attitude with my wife and kids. I, I got I to gotta work on being more gentle. 
And sanctification is something, according to 1 Corinthians 1, that has already happened. It says, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Our wisdom from God, our righteousness from God, our holiness and our sanctification and our redemption, past tense. I got all of Jesus, his perfect qualities imparted to me as a gift the moment I said yes to Christ and he came and took over and sealed me with the Holy Spirit. Everything, the perfect nature of Christ Jesus, I got it and you got it immediately right when I said yes. Now, that's not a gradual process. That's a one-time thing. But what is gradual is my learning to draw on that life within me, the perfect life of Christ Jesus. So sanctification is not something that I'm working on. It's actually a man in me. Sanctification is Christ in me. I'm not imitating his holiness and saying, what would Jesus do in this moment? I'm having his holiness imparted to me day by day, moment by moment. I'm drawing on the perfect life of Christ in me and asking the Lord to exhibit Jesus' life and his qualities in my flesh. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. This is good news. This is the gospel. This is the righteousness of God being revealed in the gospel. Even now, this moment, to you church people. I'm saying the good news of the gospel is you not only got saved by Jesus, he lives through you today to will and to work according to his good purpose. It's too good to be true. It's so good that sometimes we put a comma after it is finished and say, it is finished, comma, but keep working hard. Instead of, it is finished, I've imparted my life to you. Now all I need you to do is cooperate with the cross and your own death certificate and let me live through you. That's it. So, the perfect, loving, joy-filled, peace-filled, patient, orderly, kind, good, gentle, faithful, self-controlled life of Jesus is at my disposal right now. One more time. The perfect, loving, joy-filled, holy, peace-filled, patient, orderly, kind, good, gentle, faithful, self-controlled life of Jesus is at my disposal right now. I, in Christ Jesus, do not have a self-control problem. I am completely and thoroughly self-controlled in Christ Jesus. Now, in my flesh, I'm a wretch, and I got major issues. But what I do is not set my eyes on my flesh, but I set my eyes on Jesus and say, right now I invite you into this moment, Lord Jesus. Sanctify, change, Lord Jesus. Exhibit your characteristics through me. I don't want to look on that. I want to look on you. And he begins to change us from the inside out. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 is humanly impossible. And that's the entire point. The entire point is not to stack up this list of rules that only super spiritual monks can get to. He's like, no, this is what it looks like when I'm manifesting myself in your life. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. 
So it's not a pie-in-the-sky, unattainable thing. Because when he comes to us, he changes us inside. He changes our heredity out of Adam and into Christ. He changes our source. And all of the demands of the Sermon on the Mount are not put on me anymore. They're put on Christ within me. Can he stand up under the demands of the Sermon on the Mount? You better betcha he can. And more so. Jesus Christ alone can stand up under the requirements of God's holy life. This is a picture of what God wants to do in each one of us. So, this last week, um, two weeks ago, I was uh, sitting in a meeting with my uh, staff, uh, one of our service companies, and I chose to badmouth a competitor in front of everybody, a staff of maybe 10 people, 9, 10 people, and something came up about our competitor, and I said, rah, 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 we're better, yada, yada, yada. Just about two sentences, and right after I did, I was like, ooh, that was a bad, not only that was a dumb leadership thing to do, that was like a bad, uh, like it grieved the Holy Spirit in me to do that. And I didn't think much about it. And so we went on, two weeks later, uh, we get a customer, who uh, just railed on Facebook about everything we did wrong and how much they hate us and what a horrible company we are. And then it became like a hate fest and everybody jumped on board and there's this opinion because Facebook is so great, right? It just fosters love and approval. And so, uh, and it became this big deal. And I'm like, oh my goodness, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta say something here. So we, we turned back wrath with a gentle answer on Facebook, wrote something on there. We're going to make this right. Wrath was abated, and it came down. I'm like, yeah, the scripture works. The, the blessed are the peacemakers for their sons of God. And then the Holy Spirit brought back to my mind, God will not be mocked. What you sow, you will reap. Because on this Facebook thread, my competitor, who I had bashed in a small meeting, went off and started bashing us in front of thousands of people on Facebook and accusing my character and everyone else's character that works for us. And I realized in that moment that what I had done publicly, I sowed a seed publicly, he had done in like measure publicly on his end. He's not accountable to the Lord like I am. But I got a little bit of a spanking in that moment. But what I realized in the midst of that was even in my dumb mistake... Even though I had, I had said what I said publicly in that group that I, that I have to repent for, and I was bearing the consequences back in my life on a public platform, the Lord still met me there. And his life did something to that upset customer who I got the chance to visit with that week. And in showing her, she was so angry and cussing about it, and showing her the love of Christ, it just broke her heart. And she started to weep and weep and weep. And talk about how her husband had just died a couple of years ago. And she just needed the love of the Lord in her life. And the Lord Jesus' life through us in that moment won. The Lord Jesus in us did something supernatural. What was natural is we start to fight it out on Facebook. And there's a division. And we hate them. And they hate us. What's supernatural is Jesus comes in. He's like, no, even in the midst of your mistakes and her mistakes and the whole thing, I want to bring the kingdom of heaven into this simple situation about a plumbing repair. I want the kingdom of heaven to come in and I want you to release the life of God into her life. So that's what we're doing. We're blessing her. 
We're blessing her. And the wrath is abated. See, the Lord wants us to live in this place. This is a higher level. We are seated in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. And all these things on earth are under our feet. The Lord says, live in that place. Trust me. Let my life come through you. And sometimes it does feel like we're dying inside. And that's a good thing for our flesh to die. Amen and amen. I'm sharing a lot of personal stories lately. Um, I appreciate you bearing with me on this. I'm just fleshing it out up here. And, uh, and the Lord is working in each one of you the same way. I want us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what he's doing and what he's saying. Amen? Amen. amen.